This is the Gathering Ottawa's Message Podcast, and we've got another great message for you. For information about us, check out thegatheringottawa.com. To get connected, email info at thegatheringottawa.com. And just know that at The Gathering, we exist to connect people to the love of Jesus. So let's get right to it. Sisters and brothers, uh, call and let me know if I'm in that weird feedback zone. Just give me a little bit of hot or cold movement. Um, when students train to be pilots, there is a particularly unique exercise that some of them will encounter in the later stages of their training. So picture a student getting the plane airborne, and once the plane is at a proper cruising altitude, the instructor then takes a thick woven sack and places it over the student's head so the student is unable to see anything, complete darkness. The instructor then proceeds to take control of the plane and then does every stunt maneuver there is in the book while the student is in the complete dark. And so there's looping and there's pushing and there's skyward and there's belly up and they're spiraling and nose diving, tail spins, until the student is completely out of sorts, right? The student's probably vomiting into a bag or into that woven burlap sack. And then as the final nail in the coffin, the instructor then takes the controls and puts the plane into a suicide dive before finally taking the bag off of the student's head and then hands the control to the student. And the student's task now, after being covered in vomit and being blind that entire time, is to get the plane back under control. For most of us, maybe someone went off to the service will be like, I'm a pilot. But for most of us, we're not uh, pilots that are piloting planes that are racing towards the ground. But sometimes that can be how our family dynamic feels, Right? Sometimes that can be how our life can feel, our marriages can feel like this, our relationships can feel like that, when something, when everything seems to be headed into a terrible, like, into a terrible direction, right? When, when everything seems like it's crashing towards the ground, we have these wake-up calls. Some people have called it rock bottom, right? We have these wake-up calls where there's this desperate need that we need to change our life. We need to change our life because the direction we're headed is going to lead to destruction, right? Learning to follow Jesus can sometimes feel like this. We're navigating a world and we're feeling kind of disoriented. And Jesus is offering this brand new way to be human, right? And it requires a transformation. As this text says, it requires a renewing of our mind. And so a couple of weeks ago, I I shared a sermon on guarding our hearts from Proverbs chapter 4, kind of seeing our hearts as a reservoir and what faucets are coming into our heart and what, re- what faucets do we need to turn off. And so this, this message is kind of a continuation of that one, uh, guarding our hearts and our minds. So there's this line in ancient wisdom of Proverbs, another proverb for you, and it reads like this. The wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways. But the folly of fools is deception. I'm going to read that one more time. 
The wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways, but the folly of fools is deception. So in other words, the people who are wise, people who are wise, think about where they're going. People who are wise think about where they're going. But fools lie to themselves. Fools deceive themselves all the way to the grave. And the warning here is that fools refuse to change their ways. They refuse to change their direction. Have you ever found that to be the case? And I don't just mean looking at lives around you or cautionary tales. But I think about, think about your own foolish mistakes. How many times have we found ourselves to be stubborn when loving people have pulled us aside and said, the direction you're heading is not good. You need to change something. And in our stubbornness and in our pride and in our arrogance, we just keep going the way we go. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of intention to grow in self-awareness. A lot of determination to change our minds. So how do we keep watch over our hearts? How do we keep watch over our minds to have an undivided heart, a renewed mind, right? I appreciate Jason's prayer. I'm just going to pray really briefly as we engage the text. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would search us. Holy Spirit, reveal our habitual thoughts, our attitudes that may mislead us. Help us move away from the patterns of this world so that we can be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We pray that we would be drawn by your kindness, God, to embrace the changes that you desire in us for our flourishing. May your word penetrate our hearts and guide our thoughts, our attitudes, and our actions. God, we don't want to just hear your word today, but we want to respond and be shaped by it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as the teacher of Proverbs says, a practice of the wise is to habitually ask ourselves, is the way that I'm living leading to where I ought to be going? If I walk in this direction, the direction that my life is headed in, will I like myself when I'm 30? Will I like myself when I'm 40? If I keep going the way I go, will my family and my friends like who I am? Will my kids still speak to me? Will people respect me? Will my children flourish? Consider the way of your life right now. The thoughts, the pattern of your habits and your influences. What are the podcasts you're listening to? What are the books you're reading? Or the lack thereof? And what are these habits developing in you? Where are they leading you? Is it like a nosedive in a plane? Are they leading you to a more loving and meaningful life? Today's passage is one that's resonated with people for centuries. Just two short verses. I imagine some of you have even memorized it. Stephen Yuen, an actor, was on Stephen Colbert's show recently. And he was asking about his church history. And he could still quote these two verses verbatim because it affected him that much in his youth group life. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. So because it's just two short verses, we can really work through this phrase by phrase. Okay? So therefore, I urge you. Therefore. So Paul's essentially saying, in light of everything I've been arguing, 
in light of this case that I've been building upon through this whole letter, in light of everything I've been bringing forth, I can therefore conclude. I can therefore conclude. So this previous chapter, Romans chapter 11, it's highlighting the depth of God's love and His mercy, not just to Israelites, but to the Gentiles, to all people. God has no limits, no boundaries to His love. His love and His mercy extends to all people. God builds a longer table rather than building walls. We see that through the Gospel. So in light of everything that Paul has argued, Paul now urges us to live in a certain way. And so Romans chapter 12 marks a transition in this letter. It's a, it's a transition where Paul is moving from theological teaching to practical living. Right? He's urging a shift from doctrine to duty. From what God has done to now, how do you live in light of everything that God has done for you? And so when he urges us, this isn't a command. There are commands in Scripture. This actually isn't, isn't a command. Paul is appealing to our hearts. Think about people in movies, but when you have like a weapon close to someone's head, uh, you can make them do anything, right? But then the second that weapon's not there anymore, that behavior is not going to continue to really change someone's heart. Right? You have to appeal to their heart. You have to appeal to their conscience. And that's what lasting change is. And so Paul is appealing to the heart, to the conscience of people who follow, love Jesus, to change our trajectory and our character long-term. We can't be forced or coerced or manipulated into it, right? We have to be lovingly persuaded. We have to be lovingly persuaded. If I asked you guys to do something nice for your mom or your dad and you have a good relationship with your parents, you'd probably do it, right? It won't take much effort because you are in love with that person. We have to willingly adopt change. So in view of God's mercy, therefore live this way, right? In view of all of God has done, live this way. That's the reason we can offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. In the Hebrew Bible, God's mercy is an essential aspect of his character. God's love remains constant and loyal regardless of how the humans act. When we fail the covenant, when we break the promises, God is still loving and loyal. That's his mercy. In mercy in the New Testament, it denotes God's uh, compassion that's shown to people who are in a position of need. Mercy is when, especially when it's within one's power to punish someone or to harm them. And so mercy is withholding a judgment that someone deserves. Mercy is what motivates us to present our life as a living sacrifice. To present your whole being as a sacrifice in response to what God has already done. It's not a way to earn God's favor. That's not what this is. It's a response to God's mercy. It's a response to who He is. It's the why that sustains us, right? Why sustains us. You can't always focus on how or what you need to accomplish. It's the why that drives you. There are speakers that are paid hundreds of thousands of dollars per speech in, in order to introduce something called the golden circle. And it's a circle where in the middle of the circles, there's three circles, it's a why. And then it expands into a bigger circle called how. And then it expands into a bigger circle called what. But at the heart of those circles is why. And if you don't have a solid why, it doesn't sustain you. You give up. You exhaust yourself on the how and what. 
And sometimes I think even at church, we can exhaust ourselves on what we need to do and how we need to do it. And we can lose sight of that why. This is that why. In view of everything God has done, in view of how He's saved you, in view of how He's broken down every dividing wall, how He's reconciled, He's restored your friendship with God. This is how you have to live. Almost every expert in every field says why. Why? It's always about the why. And then Simon Sinek, one of those speakers who shows that golden circle, he says every person should have a statement in their life. And so my why is to blank. My why is to blank. And that blank is how you help people. Okay? My why is to blank. And then so that blank. And that blank is the impact you want to have. Right? So my why is to how do you help people? So that how do you change the world? So my why is to help people encounter Jesus and to live in a new way so that the world can be a more loving, a more kind, and more compassionate place. See, you need a why to drive the actions that you do. We can't just get focused on how or what we need to do for God because we get burned out. We've seen it time and time again. It's the why. And theologically, as a follower of Jesus, it's also the who. The God who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. That's a promise from one of the earliest benedictions in the Bible. Knowing why is a deeper well that you can draw from for the rest of your life. Why? We can apply it to our marriages. We can apply it to our family. We can apply it to everything that we do. Why? So in view of God's mercy, what's the response? To offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. So in light of all that why, the response is to offer your body. Offer your being. Offer everything about you as a living sacrifice. And notice the phrase that follows it. Holy and pleasing to God. So remember the prophet Hosea. In in Hosea chapter 6, God says... I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. An acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offering. So in the Hebrew Bible, God's already saying, rather than religiosity, rather than just showing up to church and singing our songs, and doing these can be good things, but rather than just acts of religiosity, I desire mercy, I desire changed life, I desire a changed heart. An acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. Yahweh is already desiring a kind of life in the Hebrew Bible. And he's communicating that through Hosea. A kind of heart, a kind of fruit. More than burnt offering, more than religiosity. The qualifying words of Romans 12 is a holy and pleasing to God, right? Holy and pleasing to God. Don't just offer your body, but holy and pleasing to God. The type of sacrifice, the type of living sacrifice. So in other words, the type of life that God wants us to live is a holy and pleasing one. A holy and pleasing one. That's a qualifying word, right? Our intellect, our will, our financial life, our sexual life, our communal life, our thought life, our character, everything about us, your whole being. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. Everything about you as a living offering rather than a dead one. Rather than a burnt offering. This is a living offering. 
Living for God is a death, though, right? To die to our flesh, to die to the ways in which our flesh is in tension with the desire of the Spirit. Swiss theologian Karl Barth, in his commentary to the Romans, he puts it this way. He says, quote, The power of the resurrection demands nothing less than that we should present our members unto obedience and yield them as servants. He's talking about this specific verse, that we should present everything about us, every ounce of our being, in complete surrender. And then Paul says, this is your true and proper worship. In many other translations, you may be more familiar with the language, this is your act of spiritual worship. In the ESV, this is your spiritual service of worship in the New American Standard Bible. Spiritual act of worship. When you offer yourself as a living sacrifice, Paul calls it spiritual worship. And that word spiritual, doesn't that remind you of Jesus in John chapter 4 where Jesus says there's a time coming that has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. In spirit and in truth. For this is the kind of worshipers that the Father seeks. Jesus says, God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Worship involves a spiritual offering. We worship God. This is your true and spiritual act of worship, Paul says. We worship God with our physical, don't we? We worship God with our physical bodies, our minds, the work of our hands, the work of our feet, our finances. That's a result of our physical labors, our time. Everything that we do is a spiritual act of worship. God is looking for that kind of worship. It's our true and proper worship. Our true and spiritual act of worship is to offer our being, our life. So why in view of God's mercies, now we're shifting to the how. Okay, in verse 2, how do you live as a living sacrifice? How do you live holy and pleasing to God? How do you offer your body in a way that God desires? Well, verse 2 says, do not conform. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. One of the most memorable times I've been pulled aside after a sermon is I was pulled aside by a husband who said, Josh, you've got to recognize that every time you use the word world, my wife has no idea what you're talking about. And his wife was, uh, English was not their first language, right? They're learning English. And so she's like, when Josh uses the world, is he talking about the planet that we're on? Like, don't conform to this, like, spherical object, right? Don't conform to the spherical rock. Like, what is he talking about? And I was like, it never occurred to me. We use this language, and, and we don't know what we're saying, <laughs> And many people don't understand, right? We can take for granted what the word world means. Paul is not speaking of don't be conformed to this spherical rock, right? Paul is saying don't be conformed to this world or this age or this evil age. These are all in the Greek, right? This world, this age, or this evil age. Paul is talking about a system. He's talking about a system. Don't conform to this way of thinking. Don't conform to this evil age. And 1 John chapter 2 tells us a bit more about this evil age. 1 John says, For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, 
The lust of the eyes and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. So the lust of the world, this evil age, is anti-Christ. comes not from the Father. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. So you can die to the world, which is the invitation of Jesus, or you can die with the world. Die to the world or die with the world. Simply identifying oneself as a Christian uh, does not make us default to not conforming to the evil age, right? Just uh, being in a garage doesn't make you a car, (laughs) someone once said, right? So being in church doesn't always make us people who don't conform to the evil age. I'll bring up Nazi Germany. Even German churches, people who sang songs every Sunday, people who gave offerings at these German churches, they were set apart by God for His purposes. In large part, they still conform to Nazi ideology. Think about that for a moment. I mean, the songs were different back then, but they were singing like, I will go to the end of the earth. Right? And they're singing like, I surrender all, I surrender all. And then followed Hitler. Christians. The Rwandan genocide, a country which identified as 90 to 95% Christian. You know what happened in Rwanda? 90 95% Christian. A horrifying genocide where tribes hated each other so much. Almost one million people were killed in the 90s. 95% Christian. You throw a rock at 10 people, you have a 9.5 chance, (laughs) right, to hit a Christian or someone who proclaimed to be a Christian. If you're allowing yourself to be conformed to the pattern of this world, to this pattern of this evil age, then you're not offering the type of spiritual worship that is pleasing to God. Do you see how that all goes together? Guard your heart and your mind. Our hearts are often divided. We give a piece of it over to greed. We give a piece of it over to lust. It's broken. It's scattered. We give a piece of it to arrogance. And it may mean limiting those faucets, as I talked about two weeks ago. Limiting those faucets. What are those things that are pouring into our heart? If you stopped and you looked at your TikTok reel feed, brutal, right? And it's just, it's like a dopamine fest that we just go through and it's all coming in. Everything desires to shake you. Maybe the media or the cultural practices that conflict with a biblical worldview. Or it's seeking out friendships and communities with people that can encourage your growth, that can push you towards Jesus. Blessed are those with an undivided heart. Blessed are those with a pure heart, Jesus said. When you study that passage, it's blessed are those with an undivided heart. Blessed are those with a whole heart. In the Hebrew Bible, there's this language of consecration. And that word, you don't hear it very often, do you? Uh, But the consecration involves dedication. It involves a setting apart of people or places or even things in the Hebrew Bible. Temple, sanctuary, things for the service and the glory of God are to be consecrated. 
And it wasn't limited to just tabernacle or the priesthood. It involves the mind and heart. For example, the Israelites were called often to consecrate themselves. That's what this is, offering your life as a living sacrifice. They were called to consecrate themselves to prepare their hearts for God's work. That's in Joshua. To consecrate our bodies, that's a spiritual act of worship. Your life is to be viewed as something given to God as an offering. Consecrated, set apart for His purposes, set apart for His glory. By the Spirit's transforming power, we can be softened, we can be remolded, we can be reshaped, we can be recreated. Remember that old 90s song for Refiner's Fire? Right? We can be reshaped. Some of the songs, great lyrics, we've got to rewrite them musically. But so good, right? What is holy and acceptable is different from what is conformed to the patterns of this world. What is holy and acceptable is different from what is conformed to the patterns of this world. So if you are in Nazi Germany, and you are a set-apart believer, and you follow Hitler's ideology, is that holy and pleasing to God? I hope everyone could be enthusiastic and be like, yes, that's not holy and pleasing to God. Right? Or the Rwandan genocide. These were Christians. And they were going with the system of the evil age. They were going with the majorities, right? We need to be less and less like the world and more transformed by the renewing of our mind. Less and less greedy. Instead of being conformed, we need to be transformed. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So the Greek tenses of all these verbs is showcasing that this is a continual, this is a daily, this is an active Renewal of your mind. This is something that you keep doing. Right? How many people like going to renew their driver's license? Right? That's the worst. You get that letter in the mail, you're like, oh, you got to take a whole day off work. Right? And if you don't renew it, it expires. And so you have to keep renewing something. That's what it is. It's a daily renewal. Except this is every day. It's like renew your mind every day. What's a faucet you can shut off today? Right? Renew your mind every day. When your mind is renewed by the Spirit of God, you're going to have a growing capacity to identify the lies of the world. Remember Jesus when he's tempted by the enemy. The enemy's trying to subvert his identity in God. The enemy's trying to appeal to greed or appetite. And Jesus fights every lie with Scripture. You remember that? Every single lie that the enemy sends to Jesus' way, every temptation... Jesus responds with Scripture. He's renewed his mind. And even the act of recalling the Scripture and announcing the Scripture over the enemy is a renewing of the mind. It's a continual thing. Jesus did it all the time. The pursuit of the renewal of mind helps us resist the world. So that's how. Do not conform to the evil age by being transformed by the renewing of your mind. So why, how, and now what? What? We're renewed for a reason. And what is that reason? Then you will be able to test and approve God's will. His good, His pleasing, and His perfect will. Do you see how all that fits together? There's a lot in two verses. It's why Dietrich Bonhoeffer and other believers renewed by the Spirit of God had the capacity to identify the lies of Nazi ideology. 
These were German people living in that land where everything was propaganda. Because of the renewal of their mind, they were able to combat. Right? They were able to form a resistance to Adolf Hitler and the Nazis. William Wilberforce and other believers who were renewed by the Spirit of God spoke against even churches that defended slavery. Churches defended slavery, by the way. Right? Lots of Christians who went to church Sunday singing these worship songs. They conformed to the evil age. They, so William Wilberforce spoke against churches that would defend slavery. The dignity of every person that's made in God's image led to a renewed mindset all across the world. It created a powerful movement to abolish slavery in the 18th and the 19th centuries. They worked together for the abolition of slavery in a time when it wasn't public opinion. Think about Martin Luther King Jr. Other renewed believers who joined him were able to advocate for nonviolent protest. Nonviolent protest. This type of protest that was so gracious towards enemies that firebombed Luther King's house that threw bricks through his home when his children were in it. And Luther King Jr. was still able to say, don't respond with violence. Love your enemies. In my opinion, it was that Christian act, that following of Jesus by those early civil rights people that made that protest have authority. Lasting authority. The pattern of the world was segregation. Believers worked towards the fall of the Berlin Wall. Believers worked towards the end of apartheid in South Africa. Do not conform to the patterns of this world. For the what? It's so that by test we can now test and discern what God's will is when you follow all of these things. The mind has to be renewed in order for us to effectively discern the will of God in our lives. And so we need to cling to the truth of God's Word, don't we? The Word reveals the person of Jesus Christ. That helps us discern the mind and the will of God. When we look at Jesus, we don't have to say, Oh, God, is, I can't fully see Him. What does His love look like? And get all metaphorical like this. We can actually see what His love looks like in the person of Jesus. We can see what His compassion looks like. He is the visible representation of the invisible God. Right? I learned that a new believer in my congregation has been meeting with uh, a, a more mature believer in our congregation, and they meet for the purpose of memorizing Scripture. Because this young believer, she just wants to drink in the Bible, and she knows that Jesus resisted temptation by quoting Scripture. She's like, Pastor Josh, if I could just memorize Scripture. So she's getting together weekly with someone in our formation group to memorize scripture, she says, so that she can speak truth to lies. Isn't that cool? So she can speak truth to lies, just like Jesus did. He renews our mind by his spirit and his truth so we can test and discern. The will of God is discerned. By constant testing, your mind has to be filled with the truth in order to identify lies, in order to not conform to the patterns of this evil age. 
So we have to continually evaluate our decisions, our values, our actions in light of everything that God has done for us, in light of Scripture, in light of the person of Jesus Christ, in light of community. That's why we have each other. We don't have to do this alone. We shouldn't do it alone. We all have our blind spots. In John chapter 17, Jesus prays, sanctify them by your truth. Jesus is praying for us. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. So the Spirit renews our mind. We do this in light of God's mercy, in light of all. That's why we do this. How? By not conforming to the pattern of the world, by renewing our mind. For what purpose? To discern the will of God, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So I have a few questions. I know it's going to be hard to keep them all in your mind. I can send them to Rachel if you want them. But the first question is, what if your life became your offering? What if your very life became your spiritual offering? Your true and proper worship? Where are you holding back? If your life is the offering, where are you holding back? And where are you giving everything? Where's the line between the sacred and the everyday? Or is there even a line at all? Is there even a line at all? The second question is, how is your mind and your heart conforming to the noisy patterns of the world? It's hard to know this, actually. It's really hard to know. Can you feel it happening in certain areas? How do you swim against the cultural flow? And what practices help you resist? And so for that young sister, her practice to help her resist is to memorize Scripture. To memorize Scripture in community with others. Third, what rhythms can you adopt that will help you renew your mind? What helps you actively engage with Scripture? In our church, we work at developing a rule of life, a common rule of life, where we can each agree to these habits that will form. What are those habits that bring you into reading Scripture with each other? And then the fourth one is the wisdom literature reads, and this is the beginning, the wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways, but the folly of fools is deception. Do you make a habit of giving thought to where you're headed? And this isn't just a career trajectory. It is in five years I'd like to be a vice president or whatever. No. This is in five years, what kind of a son am I going to be? What kind of a father will I be? Or a spouse? Or a family member? Or a loved one? Or a roommate? What kind of person am I becoming? Do you make a habit of giving thought to the direction you're headed? Because that is the practice of the wise. Practice of fools is to just never give thought to it. <coughs> Excuse me. So please take some time in prayerful reflection to think about those things. Let's pray. Holy Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, what if transformation was less about us trying harder and harder, but more about surrendering and yielding to your Holy Spirit? Help us yield to your spirit. Help us yield to the word of God. 
May your spirit renew our minds, but help us identify the lies that we live into day in and day out. Jesus, we pray that you would have your way with us. Holy Spirit, would you have your way with us? We acknowledge that our spirit is willing, but our flesh can be weak. And so, Holy Spirit, we, we cling to this promise that the God who calls us to live in this way is faithful, and he will do it. So, God, help us respond to you in faith right now. And may the desire of our heart be to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to you. May it be our desire not to conform to the evil age, the patterns of this evil age, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Would you sanctify us with your truth? Because your word is truth. So that we would be able to test and discern in the will of God, your good, pleasing, and perfect will. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. for tuning in. We're back next week with another great message. Don't forget to check out our website, thegatheringottawa.com and tune in next week to the Gathering Ottawa's message podcast.